Combine your landlines, mobiles and collaboration tools into one unified solution with Vodafone OneNet Business. Hello, I'm Brian Purcell, and this is the Ready Business Podcast, the show for startups and SMEs looking for some inspiration, insights, and some great advice. On this week's show, Dubliner Simon Phelan explains how his UK-based boiler installation business has raised millions in funding to date, and why digital tech is going to dominate our homes more and more. Simon is another young Irish entrepreneur who has made the Forbes 30 under 30 list, and is this week's Ready Business Future Maker. My background was I am an engineer, originally studied in Dublin and moved straight to London after university in 2010. I was very fortunate to get an opportunity within six months to go work for quite a well-regarded private equity investor, a guy named John Moulton. And so So how does that happen, Simon? I mean, you're you're an engineer and and you meet this guy and you go into hedge funds. How does that happen? Are you just a maths whiz? No, look, I, I definitely, you know, I, I did study maths and uh, it is, you know, I'm very numerate. Um, but there was a program in the UK called the, the New Entrepreneurs Foundation. And so it was set up by a bunch of well-regarded UK business people. Um, Richard Branson, et cetera, was involved. And really the thesis was, you know, we've got a training program for accountants. We've got, you know, training programs for lawyers, for guys who want to go work in the bank. Um, but ultimately, there wasn't a very structured training program for people who had entrepreneurial aspirations. So these gentlemen set up a business or a, a charity called the New Entrepreneurs Foundation. And the core thesis was, let's take young entrepreneurial graduates and set them up with uh, you know, world-class entrepreneurs on a one-year training program where they'll work alongside them and, uh, and hopefully be the entrepreneurs of the future. And so I was very fortunate. I'd got a job uh, straight out of university in London. I was working in, in consulting. I, I enjoyed my job, and, uh, but I did also hear about this launch of this program. And long story short, applied and was uh, was partnered with this gentleman, John Moulton, uh, really early in my career. So, you know, I, I don't think there was any necessary, you know, um, real genius on my part. It was just I was a very fortunate timing. I was in the right place at the right time with this new program that had just started and got an opportunity to work with a real legend in, in the private equity industry, really as, as a dog's body for that first year, if I'm honest. Uh, it was Learning not that Learning from the ground up, really, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And, and was it hard to make that flip from engineering consulting to go into these? It's really pure high-end financials, really, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think, um, as I said, you know, I was quite fortunate. I was a bit green, as, as anyone coming out of university is. And, and I think, you know, the engineering uh, kind of academic course is, is far more structured around teaching you how to solve problems rather than necessarily teaching you how to build bridges or roads. In the case, I studied civil engineering. And so whilst one, you know, I could have hopefully gone and had a successful career in that space, I think it, it definitely equipped me with an element of, of skill sets which were transferable. And so when I was given that opportunity to go and work in better capital, um, you know, as a fund, it was very focused on turnaround investing, focused investing in uh, kind of uh, underperforming businesses and helping to them kind of turn around. And as I joined on that first one-year contract, which became six years, I definitely was able to carve out a niche and, and hopefully show my value. And, yeah. uh, and I really got a great opportunity. And you moved back to Dublin, I see, in 2014, and you had to establish the Better Capital Irish office. Um, yes. And I see you launched a 100 million joint venture fund with the National Pension Reserve Fund. 
Yeah, so we were approached by the National Pension Fund around 2013, and they obviously um, had a mandate where they wanted to launch a, a range of funds va- based at various, uh, you know, part of the Irish Business Society. And there was there was credit funds, there was mezzanine funds, and and we we really want were targeted at focusing on de- delivering equity for businesses which were underperforming. Mm. Um, you know, it was a really exciting opportunity for me. You know, I was 20 three at the time, and, and I got an opportunity to work with two extremely experienced um, private equity and, and investors and finance guys in Dublin. But, you know, unfortunately for us, I think it was interesting that within 18 months, it was relatively clear that the market uh, didn't necessarily like the model that we had brought in. And so ultimately, um, we, that vehicle uh, kind of dissipated and it wasn't, I guess, a success on the, on the end. So, you know, I really look back at that and, and incredible learning experience where was, you know, being that at that young stage of my career, working for a guy who I really thought, you know, was and is an incredible guy and has this great track record. There's still, you know, um, this element where, you know, even he didn't see uh, that this might may not work in the market okay. at that time. Well, it's but better to pull out before it gets too late, I guess. Uh, I suppose it's the same with a lot of businesses, really. But I, I'm thinking, how did you end up then at Home Tree? Yeah, well, I mean, you invested into this, didn't you? No. So, I mean, between between, um, you know, we we came to the conclusion that the Irish fund wasn't going to uh, have the success that we all hoped it may. And I I guess, you know, through a period of soul searching, really tried to figure out what I wanted to spend my time on. And and, you know, through many factors came to this view that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, But I I was very positive in in between. I got an opportunity uh, to join an Irish business that we had bought that Better Capital in the UK owned called Spicers. And so I got the opportunity to join a business as CEO. It was a a business in a period of of distress. You know, we owned the UK business as well and and really got to work with the management team there over 16 months. What does Spicers do? Spices is in the office supply wholesaling okay, market, so right. it, it's ultimately taking in products from around the world and delivering them to people who then sell those uh, stationary products on into offices. How did and you so find, it's, it's, sorry, uh, Simon, how did you find then as a young whippersnapper CEO and uh, how did the staff get on with you and what did they think of you coming in? Look, I think there was an element of that which was somewhat challenging and there was an element of the fact that I didn't uh, come from the industry. But, you know, I think it really depended on how people wanted to view me. They could they could view me as, you know, I'm coming in to try and take over their, their jobs or, in fact, the way I painted it was instead it was I was there to help. This was a business that had lost money for seven years in a row and was being supported by, you know, a UK top company. Um, and actually, you know, we could really help make, create a bridge mm. between the UK company that could ultimately lead to it being more successful. So, you know, I was never going to be the long-term solution there. And they've got a wonderful management team. Uh, really, I was a vehicle for change in helping them leverage the private equity owner and the UK top company to help uh, kind of reposition that company so it can be successful. So you must have learned a huge amount of skills on the way to actually get in, doctor up a company and, you know, leave it in a better place. Look, I think, yes, I think, you know, experience is the greatest teacher and failed an awful lot. But I think, you know, I've been so fortunate that a couple of key characters in my career so far, such as John Moulton and a number of others, have taken bets on me and gambles on me. 
and given me the opportunity to uh, you know to really go and 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 try and and test. Um, and I think you know for John in that situation, it gave him the comfort that there was someone he knew and trusted in in that business. Um, but you're right, it it has been a wonderful mm. uh, wonderful opportunity to learn. So a home tree. How did you end up there then? So I um I come to this view that I wanted to set up a business. And um, when my time at Spicers in Ireland was coming to the end, I was pretty clear. I, I had been working on a, an idea for, for quite some time. And so I moved back to the UK late 2015 and incorporated the business. And really come January 2016, set myself up in, in my bedroom in, in Highbury in North London. Uh, and actually, I you know, went around setting the business up from scratch. So, you know, the idea there, I guess, was inspired by two uh, insights. The, the first was uh, in the private equity fund, we own the biggest home improvement company in the UK, a business called Everest. They predominantly do window installs. And, you know, through sitting on the board there for four years, I got a really interesting insight into this broader home improvement market. You know, it's, it's an enormous market in the UK. There's 15 billion pounds spent per annum on home improvements. Oh, okay. um, but it's, it's massively untransparent. Uh, there are brands such as British Gas who, you know, charge 3x what the local plumber charges. And it really felt as if, you know, as e-commerce of everything starts to happen, as consumers increasingly get comfortable purchasing more and more retail products online, that there was going to be an enormous opportunity for someone to bring that transparency to digitize this kind of consumer journey. So I guess, you know, that w- that was that first insight. But the one I guess that I was most passionate about was more broadly and generally, um, you know, the fact that the energy business model is is changing quite dramatically. You know, ESB is is, is the US, is the, the the Irish version. But, you know, British Gas is a case in point. British Gas yesterday announced 4,000 job losses, mm-hmm. and that's not just because they're perhaps running the business poorly. It's because like what happened when uh, mobile uh, came in, in in the telephony space, the energy markets are moving from this kind of um, centralized grid-based model to increasingly a decentralized one where the home is becoming, you know, kind of a micro power plant. It's having lots of smart technology put in and solar on the roof and batteries. Yeah. And I really had this thesis that as that shift happened, the utility of the future was going to be this services provider. And Bar British Gas, who have these 10,000 engineers, no utility in Europe is really well set up to deliver on these future solutions for consumers. So, you know, with, with those two insights, um, I became very passionate about this idea of building a disruptive energy business uh, around the kind of home services space and was very fortunate. I put in some of my own money and then I had um, a couple of people, including John Moulton, come around and they gave me 350k of, of debt alone. And, uh, and I was able to get the business up off the ground in, in early 2016. And it's kind of been all go from there. Yeah, and, and I see since then you've raised phenomenal money. You've raised nearly um, about five million uh, uh, pounds sterling in, in, yeah. actual, in the various different, uh, I suppose, fund, fundraising drives. Um, so yeah. how different has that startup route been compared to your hedge fund investing days? Vastly different. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the private equity uh, world, uh, or certainly the, the one that I was working in, was, was around turning around uh, broken businesses and, and obviously broken balance sheets. Um, you know, the, the kind of early stage venture capital world is, is very different. It's fully oriented towards growth. And so really growth is the core KPI that you're mm. pushing for. 
Um, you know, you obviously go through these cycles and the first year really was around what I guess the venture capital guys call finding product market fit, which ultimately means having a product or service that customers are, you know, really delighted by and, and start buying. And I guess the best uh, predictor of having found product market fit is, is really steep revenue growth. Um, and, you know, I think for us, you know, we looked at the businesses in the private equity world were clearly mostly declining, loss making and whilst, you know, we are a loss making business and using shareholder funds to grow. You know, last year we, we consistently grew 48 percent month on month top line. So, you know, it, it's this kind of dramatic difference in terms of just that speed of growth. Yeah. And I think that's the, the big change. And then something like five million worth of, of, of funding. What happens there as regards scaling up? What does that allow you to do? Yeah, so if you look at the trajectory, I mean, yeah. we raised the 350K of debt in 2016. I brought in a co-founder, the guy who built Hive, which is the UK equivalent of Nest, the smart mm. thermostat. So a very smart technical engineering guy. And, you know, I'm not technical, so I needed a strong tech guy beside me. Um, we really use that to get into the market, get up and going and prove our initial model. And so, you know, that business was still very small towards the end of 2016, doing kind of 50, 60K uh, revenue a month. Um, and really, it, it gave us the opportunity to build, um, I guess, that first iteration for investors where we could go and say, this is the vision, this is the big market opportunity, this is our entry point, Boilers is our entry point into the home, and we've, we've developed this new model, and customers seem to love it, and we've got that initial revenue growth coming in the door. And so, you know, we raised 2 million quid uh, in kind of December 16, Jan 17, mm. from four VC venture guys and, and a number of high net worths. And, and that really was a, was a real uh, kind of moment for us. You know, we, we went from two, two people in the business to, to 30. Uh, we're 32 today, but um, 30 by the end of, of this year, of, of last year. You know, the business um, grew to kind of well over uh, half a million pounds of revenue a month. Um, okay. you know, the, you know, so we really went on, on quite a, um, journey and, and I guess really got to prove, um, that whilst boilers might be, you know, not the most obvious choice for venture capital to invest that, you know, as a vehicle, uh, for this broader home services play, um, this was a great space. And so, you know, that ultimately culminated in the end of the year, uh, a gentleman called Paul Pinder, who's quite a well-regarded former FTSE 100 CEO and investor yeah, yeah. coming, getting involved and, and raising, putting three million quid into the business to help us start scaling. And like, obviously, it's not the, the most sexy sounding industry, industry, you know, boiler installation. But, you know, what, what kind of, um, I suppose, area are you covering now? Because you're based in London uh, and, and the yeah. scaling that you're doing. And look, th these people are not stupid. They're investing you for a reason. You know, where are you going with this? Um, and, you know, what kind of, uh, I suppose, scale and numbers are you looking at? Yeah, so uh, we are regional. We're operating in the southeast today. You know, the reason Paul Pinder invested was he, he the first thing he did when he left that FTSE 100 job where he was a CEO, he invested a million quid into a business called Purple Bricks around four years ago. Okay. And that business was, was slightly behind us. It's an online version of an estate agent. That business today is valued at 1.25 billion on the, on the AIM stock market. It's about to do 100 million revenue this year. And obviously Paul's had a, a pretty good yeah. outcome. He's, he's, he's the chairman there. 
And so, you know, very, it's a very analogous business because um, it is a people business at the end of the day that is empowered and, and, and leverages technology, but it's not a software first business. And, you know, we are at the end of the day, a, a human capital business um, where technology enables us to do things uh, in a more automated and, and hopefully a lot better customer focused way. Um, but really, the focus for us now is, you know, our intention was to raise quite a bit more capital than what we raised. But Paul approached us and said, look, let's do a small fundraise now, three million quid. Let's get me and my kind of mates into the business. Let's really focus on building out uh, the processes and the, the kind of uh, models for scale. So where we are as a business now is we're still growing quite aggressively month on month, but not at that kind of 50% month on month clip that we were. Um, and we're really investing hard in our system. So we're growing from probably 25 to 100 uh, full-time employees in the business this year and around kind of 60 engineers to around 250, 300. So we're really investing in processes and scale. And the view would be that we are going to roll out across the southeast up to Birmingham mm -hmm. towards the, the kind of the you know, end of Q3. And then once we raise what we'll class as our first growth equity round, which will be quite a big check around that time, we'll look to complete the national rollout by probably mid-2019. And how are you selling to people? I would have thought Boiler Installations is like a door-to-door -door salesman going around trying to persuade people to switch out the old and bring in the new. Yeah, I think that's one of the key points that I wanted to differentiate because, you know, obviously I sat on the board of this business, Everest, and they had a thousand, not door, this move, industry has moved away from door-to-door -door selling because it's quite regulated, mm. but, you know, the, the industry as a whole is still, uh, both in boilers, windows, you name it, it's still very driven by sending a salesperson into the home, you know, doing the long pitch, starting at X price and getting down to Y and, and you know, taking that, really using pressure techniques to try and close the consumer. Um, and what's and what, that? We've really, what does that mean? Essentially, you know, uh, anything from using finance as a technique to close okay. the customer. You know, look, if you sign today, I'll be able to give you this discount. It's, it's, it's an industry fairly notorious for kind of being quite pushy in terms of the sales tactics that are used. You know, what our key differentiator today is we, we don't employ salespeople. Um, we've brought kind of e-commerce to the industry. Uh, so that customer journey is far more digitized, far more transparent about getting them the information on what the right product is for them up front. We offer them video consultations with real engineers because these are technical products that consumers don't know much about. Yeah. And so that gives them the ability to understand why it's the right solution for their home. And ultimately then at their discretion, they can choose to buy this. So it's a lot less push sale and um, and ultimately you know we're driving this business at the end of the at the end of the day you know these are never businesses that are driven kind of um you know exclusively word of mouth there has to be a big uh, marketing and advertising element to it so a lot of our business today has been driven by performance marketing online mostly ppc and seo yeah um, but we've just hired uh, world-class chief marketing officer and an amazing um, Richard Branson's former marketing advisor as well, who's who's joined okay, our business as, right. as a marketing guy. And, and really, we're, we're going to be trying to develop the brand as well as driving a lot of performance and advertising spend as well. Well, no messing about, Simon. Tell me about the inputter on tech and how much of that do you have and how important is that within your business? Because I presume you're, you're, you're really not uh, one of these tech heads, are you? I'm not. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, I mean, I have a healthy appreciation for technology. I, I studied computer science at university as well as, as engineering. It's, it was part of the degree syllabus. 
but you know i i don't have a, a brain necessarily that that thinks in that completely logical way um and so you know as i said it was a really critical hire for me you know i'd already started the business we were already up and running i'd already get the capital yeah but, you know it was very important for me to take in a co-founder who was technical because i think you know one of our key pillars of differentiation in this space will be using technology to be better smarter cheaper all of the above and so it's a fundamental uh, you know driver of our business you know in the first instance it's fundamental to try and reinvent the customer journey um, we're using you know the best techniques from e-commerce leaders to try and completely change that journey that the customer goes on when they buy this product and that's 100 percent tech-led um, you know, as a business, you know, these businesses, if you think about local kind of plumbers, they're very paper intensive. And so we've used technology to completely automate those processes so that this can be an actual scalable business internally. Um, and then finally, you know, it, these businesses, it's really, really important that you crack what's called the supply side or the, the kind of in our case, you know, it's not the Uber driver. In our case, it's the it's the installer. And so we use technology to get deeply ingrained in their day to day, you know, because one of the key challenges in this space is how do you win the hearts and minds of those installers? They have other options of where they can go work. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, if, if all you present them is we pay you X amount per day per fee because they're subcontractors, yes. well, they're not, they'll have no loyalty for you. So ultimately, what we've also done is we've over-invested in the technology that we offer to our installer uh, partners so that we do a far more than just deliver them jobs. We really help them run their local businesses, deal with paperwork, deal with administration, offer financing to their own consumers, yeah. and all of that is underpinned by tech. Really turning them all on, really, for, for, for you. Um, thoughts on the digitization of homes, Simon. How much longer, you know, have we a way to go with more digital devices in our homes and lives? You know, what will it take that all this will look like in 10 years' time? Look, I think this is one of the great secrets. You know, you have so much uh, going on in fintech globally. I think energy um, and that kind of home is, is the most exciting space at the moment. You look, you know, utilities are this kind of bellwether of the, the old school economy. But, you know, there's been half a trillion worth of market cap wiped off listed utilities in the last six years. Like the big German utility, E.ON, had 110 billion pound market cap in, in 2010. Today it's around 13, 14 billion pounds. And that shift in that value destruction has happened not because of the recession, it's happened because the underlying technology is changing, much like it did in telephony. And, okay. and whilst you know, B, BT is still around, Vodafone you know, uh, was able to capitalize on the back of a new technology, mobile, to build a much bigger business. And so, you know, the the kind of technology going into homes today is is game changer. You know, you look at Germany, there's millions of homes that have solar PV. Um, you know, the advent of electric vehicles is really accelerating the cost down curve in, in battery storage. Yeah. And many of those batteries that will be used in cars will have a second life to be used in the home. And when that's partnered with PV generation, there's a real threat to the traditional energy generation model that homes will be able to go off grid. Now, you okay. know, I don't believe that that's the way ultimately it will go. I think consumers will still stay connected to the grid. But, you know, the grid is going to become much more of a two-way system where electricity can be passed back into the grid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, homes are becoming far, far uh, smarter. We see Alexa and the advent of voice. 
Um, but, you know, here in the UK, we sell with almost every install we, met, we do, we sell a smart thermostat. Um, you know, we're getting that data feed that the actual boilers themselves are a lot smarter these days. We get data on that boiler and we can do predictive analytics to inform the consumer ahead of time that that's going to break down. So I really think that with IoT, with just digitalization in general, an increasing set of products that aren't just a product you know that the consumer doesn't care about because okay. consumers don't necessarily engage with energy but i think a lot of these products you know can deliver much better lifestyle solutions so i think we're really at that tipping point where it's about to take off future plans for home tree simon where are you going with all this Look, I think, you know, as I said, the, the energy utility model has changed and it's moving to this home services business. So, you know, none of our investors would invest in, in HomeTree, I believe, if this was just about boilers. Mm. And really, that's certainly never the way we've, we've pitched it. Boilers is a, is a four billion pound market in the UK today and um, one player with 8% market share and the next biggest one, 1%. So for the time being, you know, we have real kind of uh, market space and the white space in this industry to grow and i think you know grow our revenues really aggressively to try in three four five years push towards you know 100 million plus revenues exclusively if we're doing nothing else than boilers and and the kind of servicing around that that being said you know we really feel that the machine we're building to deliver boiler installs will deliver a range of other products so you know we've already got our second category Earmarked. We're going to be launching in late 2018 into our second category. Can you give us a hint what that is, Simon? Sure, yeah. It's going to be somewhere in that kind of smart home space. I won't say exactly what it will be, but it will be a different revenue model. It will be a subscription model where we will start to build long-term customer relationships and the value of our business will go up incrementally based on that. So I think, you know, quite, quite an exciting roadmap ahead. And do you ever see yourself moving back to hedge funds and investments or have you got the startup bug now? No, look, I think, um, you know, I, I often think that I was very fortunate. I, well, I was incredibly fortunate to get such an incredible training and such a great mentor who's still my you know, third largest investor today in John Malton. Um, but, you know, I think private equity is, is a fascinating asset class, but it's a, it's a very well established and, and kind of, you know, a mature industry. You know, you got these big global yeah. platforms like Blackstone, KKO or Carlyle. And it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's more a career today than it was 30 years ago when John Moulton was starting, where it really was kind of an entrepreneurial pursuit. And so, you know, when I think about the, the kind of passionate experience I've had over the last two years, building a business, growing it to, you know, now 30 something employees and, and all that comes with that, I certainly, I, I get my kick far more from the building than investing. And finally, Simon, we always leave our listeners with the top three tips for business success. Give us your top three as tell people, how, you know, what, what are the fundamentals that you relied on and making it to the top? I think, you know, the best advice I ever got from John Moulton when I, when I was leaving it to set up HomeTree was there's three things you need to do as an entrepreneur. That is, you need to set the vision, you need to raise the capital, and you need to hire the people. And actually, when I look at what I spend my time on today, it's, it's, it's actually how, it's quite strange how accurate he was. You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs I meet, you know, have a great product ideas, and it's a great feature or something that they're... But actually, I found that to hire the best talent, you need a really well-articulated and, and kind of broad-reaching vision, which people can really believe in. You then need to go, and I think you need to be incredibly picky about the type of capital you raise. The difference between just money as it stands and investors like Paul Pinder, John Moulton, and some of our other VCs mm. is actually astounding, the pattern recognition they came. And then, uh, and the final thing is just 
be incredibly picky and reference like hell the people that you come work for. You know, you need to be picking people who have a history of success. And ultimately, it's the people that you bring in that will build the business. And as the entrepreneur, you are ultimately the facilitator for trying to take all these resources together. Excellent points. I have to say, so pick people with a history of success, because I'm sure that when you're picking the, the, the very top people, the, the very best in their business, you probably got to sell to them like you would sell to a VC, wouldn't you? I mean, look, my, my whole uh, life at this moment is I'm, I'm not selling to investors. I'm, I'm selling to talent and great talent should be incredibly hard to hire. I mean, yeah. when I get excited about, we've just, um, we have a CFO joining the business next, uh, next Monday. And, you know, incredibly experienced guy, you know, he was financial controller for Betfair through their IPO. And I mean, I had to get, you know, I had to get all my investors in a room, get them in front because great talent has great options. And if you want them to come to you, you're going to need to make sure that they are convinced that this is somewhere they can have an impact and hopefully be successful. Simon Phelan, absolutely great to talk to you. And thanks for sharing with us your insights. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of the Ready Business Podcast. And my thanks to Home Tree Simon Phelan for joining me on the show. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and join me next time as we discover more inspiring Ready Business future maker stories. Simplify how you work with cloud-based unified communications. Vodafone One Net Business.